Hey there, this is Matt, and welcome back to Food Under Fire, where we ask hospitality folk two questions during the COVID-19 pandemic. How can we help you? How can you help us? I've been in this weird state recently when it comes to my internet habits and consuming information digitally. I'm sure some of you can relate. I'll be honest, on one hand, I would sometimes prefer to turn it all off and live in blissful ignorance only focusing on what's going on in my life, in my immediate surroundings, and in my community. And I think many of us have already done that. I've heard from scores of people who keep in their own respective bubbles while not venturing out beyond that. But on the other hand, a part of me can't help but follow the current state of events. Pandemic numbers, social justice reform, presidential polls, and a slew of other updates are constantly vying for attention. And without these updates, many of us feel lost, out of the loop, or even guilty. So where do you fit? Do you prefer blissful ignorance or information gluttony? Sure, I'm painting a picture of extremes here, but we're also living in a time of extremes, and many of us are either gorging on our social media feeds or steering clear completely. So here's what I say. Find a balance. And to find balance, always start with yourself first. Take a walk, ride your bike, read a book, Meditate, journal, ensure healthy eating patterns, or whatever you need to do to decompress and reflect. By doing so, you will be more in tune with how you're feeling. And if you can't manage any of that, just breathe slowly, acknowledge what's going on in your head, and fully accept the feelings you have. Even this simple exercise is a revolutionary form of self-care that puts us in a better place to help others. And I think that's the point I'm trying to get across here. We all want to help others right now, and that's beautiful and very much needed, but you have to make sure that you are good first. You don't even need to be in a good situation. Just make sure that you're aware of your feelings and have some sort of handle on them. Many of us are on autopilot right now, fueled by rage or fear, and it's time to turn autopilot off and become more conscious of what's going on internally. That way, we are in a better place to serve others. As always, a quick reminder for those of you who enjoy the show, please consider subscribing, sharing with a friend, or leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. Welcome to episode 10 of Food Under Fire. We have finally breached the double digits, and with the state of the world right now, especially the state of my home here in the Twin Cities, I don't see myself slowing down anytime soon. So... If you've joined me up until episode one, or you're just now listening, either way, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I feel very lucky and privileged to be on this journey. There are a lot of important conversations to be held right now. I'm well aware of that, and I'm working on securing interviews with people who really deserve a platform right now. So while I get those arranged, I decided that I would go back into the archives. This interview was recorded on April 16th, which makes it more than two months old but I'm posting it for two reasons. The first is that I really like this guy. His name is John Krause, and in my eyes, he's one of the most talented hospitality people that we have here in the state of Minnesota. Several years ago, he became the first American to become a part of the Relais de Sao, a 100-member fraternity of the world's best pastry chefs. He runs Roastery Patisserie in St. Paul and Patisserie 46 in Minneapolis. However, the former is temporarily closed. The second reason I'm posting this is that I wanted to challenge myself a bit. The interview, even though I loved it, was plagued with technical issues, and he even had to move locations a few times. It really bummed me out at first, but I decided that, you know what, I'm just going to edit my way out of the difficulties. 
Also, I have to admit, John has a nice podcasting voice. So, here's the interview. It's a bit noisy at first, but we eventually take care of it. You'll see. Enjoy. Are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Do you hear me? I hear you, but uh, I'm a little embarrassed. I've never Skyped before, so I don't know if you actually see me. No, I don't see you. (laughs) In the age of coronavirus, video calls are the new norm. And video calls, well, they kind of suck. Your little icon. I don't know where the damn camera is on this. How about that? Still seeing the same icon. It should be at the bottom of the screen. There should be a little video button. But after some back and forth, we got it figured out and got to talking. Really simple question. Just tell me, how have you been recently? Well, I think like everyone else, uh, scared and cautious and uh, concerned about all of the people I see every single day. But I'm hopeful we get through it okay and we'll just keep pushing till they tell us we can't. So it changes every minute, you know? Yeah. I mean, it seems like you've been staying busy at least, though. Yeah, you know, a few little hiccups here and there, but I think that that's normal when you have to pivot every single day. You know, it really comes down to people being very patient. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose because people are scared. And with that comes a lack of patience many times. But I think here in particular at Patisserie 46, we're very, very lucky because we are part of a community. And I really do believe that at least part of uh, from a baker's standpoint, the duty of a baker is to their community. Um, and because of that, we have a relationship where they won't give up on us and we won't give up on them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we'll be here until they tell us we can't. And, uh, so far we, we were down to a skeleton crew and we made it very clear from the beginning that if you don't want to be part of this, you can stay home because we also have a duty to keep everybody safe. And and a lot of the kids said, you know what, I really don't want to leave my house and I don't want to be there. So as a result, we we closed a few stores because of that. And uh, we put all of our focus in at the Bread Lab and and in Minneapolis because I want people to be comfortable and safe. And a lot of the kids were just terrified. And I'd I'd come in in the morning and they'd be shaking. And I say, you know what, it's it's not worth it. I'll be here until I can't. And you just stay home. And when we're on the other side of this, you got a place to come back to work. And I think that level of support from both sides makes it uh, makes it doable. Take me through how everything went down in your universe leading up to you know, the closures that you had to do and then the official statewide closures. Well, it, it started with emails from a lot of our wholesale. So as you can tell, the background noise was getting to be a bit much. So I'll summarize here. He talks about how 80% of his wholesale went out the window overnight. And then the governor's order for all restaurants to shut down came, and that forced him immediately to set up an online takeout system. He was also challenged with severe staff cuts. A team of 47 turned into a team of 8. So anyways, I'm hearing all this noise, and I'm like, where is this guy? Are you at the bakery right now? 
I am. <laughs> oh, right. That's what, what all the sounds are. Okay. <laughs> we decided that it would be best for him to move. So he heads into the basement, and as he's going downstairs, I ask him, how are you looking at customers right now? What are you thinking about when it comes to giving them the best possible experience and product, even during a pandemic? How do we make this happen that they feel safe and that they they trust us to do what we've always done without even coming into the store? And what we sell, it's very visual. So, you know, it's not like you order a pepperoni. And I love pizza, so it's not a offense, but... You, you don't order pepperoni pizza on the phone here. You you want to see the, the cakes. You want to see the bread. You want to see the, the croissants. And now all of a sudden everything's coming out in a bag. And uh, it's just a, it's a very different way of preparing the product, but also a very different way of making sure they get it. And then when it gets home, that it's what they expected. So, for example, if someone calls today and they say, you know, I'm really dying for a latte and an almond croissant. I want to make sure that that's the best latte and best almond croissant that they get today or any day because it's special to me that they actually came out to get that. So I don't want to let them down. And that really is what it comes down to is how do we how do we not let people down by this different model of what's actually happening? How have you been personally adhering to this these new models? How are you adjusting? For me, and I think for the for the gang, sometimes the highlight of the day is just seeing people walk in the door and, and seeing, like I said, it's my community that I live in and, and breathe in for a decade. And now I, I don't have that chance to, to even have a full conversation. That's our job is to be a community gathering place. So it's sort of taken a little bit of a, it's just different. It, it I don't want to say it took the wind out of my sails because it hasn't because we're still there for the community. But you want to pet the dog. You want to you want to hug the, the, the people that come in every day and have a cup of coffee that you've seen for a decade, but you can't. Now you have to hand them a bag on a stainless steel table and uh, say good morning and walk away. And you can tell everybody wants to talk, but they can't. So it's a whole different – it's a filtered model, I suppose – it's very different, very unique. You know, the positive the positive side of this is that I think it allows people to see the importance of what it is that restaurants and bakeries and coffee shops provide for them on a community level and on a world level. I mean, people people come to us, they go to restaurants, they go get it doesn't matter, Mexican food, pizza, you take a little vacation. And that's what they, uh, that's why they like to do it. So now it's, uh, you just take a car ride, get a bag of, of pastries and you go back home. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, I, I believe that we will get through it from a, a, a restaurant and bakery and coffee shops. They're always going to be here. I think it will just depend on, um, how the guest reacts when we're through this i mean they're gonna have to anticipate that in many cases going to a restaurant might cost a few more dollars because a lot of them are no one ever thinks about where, where that money's actually going but it's going to pay for health care it's going to pay for the produce the products and in the future you know the farmers are, are hurting right now i just got off the phone with one of our our farmers to to look for eggs because 
they have a plethora of eggs. Another place down the road has no eggs. So I think the fear in conjunction with the loss of, of produce, they should be picking things right now. And it's all so up in the air that uh, we're going to have to dig out a, a much bigger hole and start thinking about what about the farmers? We've got to take care of them because they will take care of us. It, it, it really is a huge circle of, of things that, that I think maybe a lot of people haven't thought about in the past that will start thinking about this now. Like, oh, there is a, a supply chain that requires uh, A to Z. It's not just one person doing this. If you get asparagus, so somebody else produced the asparagus and so on and so forth. I think it, it opens eyes to the to the guest and the consumer that there's a much bigger picture in the production of food service. People that I've interviewed so far for this segment, they've all said the same thing. It's a, a macro issue. There's so many different moving parts. It's not just the restaurant industry that's in jeopardy. It's the people who supply them as well. And they're an essential part of the circle of life when it comes to, you know, going out to eat and enjoying the experience. And, you know, if you don't have those people, you know, in the picture, if you don't have those people doing okay, then things really start to fall apart. Absolutely. But I think, you know, the, the places that are staying open, um, doing the curbside service and things like that, or doing a service because they are looking towards the local farmers that maybe the farmers markets aren't going to do so well this summer. So the farmers will deliver to the restaurants that remain open. Maybe the restaurants will sell their produce or their eggs or to the guests that come to their door. Um, we started an online store and we're going to start selling eggs, um, farm eggs, because uh, people want that. They want a bag of flour and uh, a piece of Levon and, you know, so that they, they can bake at home. So I, I think, uh, I think there's ways that we can all do this that will keep everybody uh, safe. Everybody's going to take a hit. There's no question about that. Farmers, pickers, growers, everybody, restaurants, bakeries. I think one thing I can say about restaurateurs and farmers and bakers is we can all roll up our sleeves and we make things happen. And you've seen that happen in this city for sure. And yeah. uh, the level of support from local support from the, the community, from the, the, the governor, we are going to make it. And and many places around the country, around the world, I mean, I, I speak to people in France, Italy, Germany, you name it, they're all doing exactly the same thing. They're just trying to figure it out day by day to survive. But what's amazing to me is these are highly motivated, talented, intelligent people that are going to make things happen and they're going to see the other side of this. The ones that give up, whether they're forced to or not, you know, that's the thing is a lot of restaurants are three weeks away from bankruptcy all the time. So it's uh, it's a scary business to be in in general, but you do have to get creative. And people have been doing that, certainly. I, I, I've been really personally inspired by how everyone in the Twin Cities restaurant community and even beyond that have really been making these incredible shifts into new ways of doing things, into new ways of still, you know, delivering service and delivering their product. And it just speaks to the resiliency 
of the industry. I mean, you know, all industries have their own way of displaying resilience in a time like this, but I've been especially affected by the hospitality industry and what they've been doing. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, like Chow Girls and Hope and everybody, that's what our life is all about. We're in the kitchen and we feed people. And I don't think we're going to stop unless we uh, are absolutely told, that's it, you've got to stop. Hey, I think I can actually get you on a different screen if you want to try it. At this point, John suggested that we switch devices. Now keep in mind, we had been doing this whole interview without even seeing each other's faces. That's a big one for me, because when I record these things, I tend to struggle if I have to interview without seeing their face. So we switched devices... Look at that. Oh, look at that. It's like magic. <laughs> what kind of witchcraft did you do? I, I asked people to understand. This. And continued on. <laughs> so anyways, uh, back to what we were saying. So yeah, I just personally have been really inspired by the efforts that everyone have or has been doing. And uh, I think that's a good transition to talk more about what you've been doing. Tell us more about the initiatives that you've started and you've been involved with, with your businesses. I mean, we can start with the pay it forward program, which Absolutely. is, which is something I heard about and sounds really compelling. Yeah. You know, what we started to notice is, is people were coming in and saying, what can I do for, for this person or for your, your, your staff or, and I said, just keep coming, you know? And then all of a sudden a woman showed up and she said, here's $50 for your staff, and here's $50 for someone that needs it. And we thought, wow. And then Elizabeth said, well, that's kind of pay it forward. So let's do that. And we started this initiative where it might go, yesterday's a great example. Someone sent $50 and said, the next physician or nurse you see, because they, they stop in the morning on their way home from their shift, said, give them something extra. I said, okay, uh, so we did. And you'd be amazed at the gratitude. And what amazes me is that a lot of these people, like we, I, a woman called and said, I need a birthday cake sent to a doctor down the street from the bakery. So I delivered it. And the tears in these people's eyes, because they're amazing individuals. I mean, I, I, I don't think uh, what they have on their plate is exhausting mentally and physically so much more so than we can probably imagine. But they're doing it, and they're saving people, and they're helping people, and they're, I mean, unfortunately, they're watching people die around the world. But uh, this is the kind of initiative that I think is is important because you're providing someone a little glimmer of hope and a little gratitude that's so much more valuable than than anything else. So you know, this, we've delivered to uh, some of the clinics. Um, the police department, the fire department, and the police were so great that they, they sent out a, a text. First, they told me I shouldn't be there, but, uh, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, when people want to do something kind for others, I think, how much more beautiful can it get? Those guys are in the, uh, it's, it's kind of the real deal. I'm just baking bread, you know? Right. Tell me more about how this Pay It Forward program actually works if someone wants to engage with it themselves. So we... we it can happen in any way. Um, we have a uh, an online store through Square Up, which has been great. And you can actually purchase a, a pay it forward ticket. And then we will, and you can even say this must go to the fire department or this, this has to go uh, 
75-year-old human uh, down the road that could use a care package. So here's $100, make a $100 care package. And there's no delivery fee. We take it and we put it on their door and say, hey, you got a care package from so-and-so or hang in there, wash your hands, be careful. It's just a way for people to connect where they can't right now. And there's still that strong desire for for people to connect. I mean, I, I spent... 15 minutes on the phone with someone I've never met today just because they wanted to talk. And uh, I think there's there's something really intriguing about all that and, and beautiful. And what we have to do is is somehow keep that connection going and that community going because that's what is the lifeblood of any small business is the community it's in. So pay it forward. It, it started from there. And maybe the, you know, the, the kids that are out of school right now, they need something to eat. So maybe someone buys 10 loaves of bread for a family. I mean, it's, uh, it's just whatever strikes you, whatever the mood strikes, we're going to do it. Tell us about other ways that we can support you right now in terms of the, the options that Patisserie and Rose Street are doing, just so people are aware. I guess just keep coming. We're going to be here till we can't, you know, it's, that's our duty as bakers. We're going to bake till they tell us to stop and, and we'll be here. That's kind of the gist of it. That's the way we're going to survive and uh, get to the other side of it. And we'll see what that looks like. I think there's too many, uh, you know, there's a lot of unknowns happening and from the uh, SBA and payroll and all of these things, uh, how much, and how little you do based on your business model is how you're going to survive in six years. And I think for me, that's that's really the big question. It's not two weeks from now. It's uh, where are we going to be in three years? And that's how we're kind of basing the decisions we make is, is what that's going to look like and how our business model is going to change and how we are going to survive the next two months is just by putting bread on people's tables. And in my opinion... There is really nothing more beautiful than a loaf of bread on a table. I do like fried chicken and pizza, but a loaf of bread really uh, is comforting to me. I want to transition into your home life. Do you have a home life right now? Have you been mostly at the shop? I mean, have you been cooking at all recently, doing Uh, anything weird or experimental now that we all have more free time than usual? Some more than others, but you know. We did test the chocolate lava cake at the house okay, to make sure that what we were saying, you know, there's things are a little different in a commercial kitchen. So we, we tested that. But I have to say, like, uh, other than soup, pretty much work, go home, let the dogs out and go to bed and wake up and work, go home. It's kind of a, a good cycle, you know, and I think a lot of it might be mental to me because if I can go to bed and wake up the next day, then I'm it's a new day. And I'm tired. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're all working and, and uh, it's been a long time since I made cookies, for example. And, uh, you know, now we're all kind of wearing a lot of different hats and kind of is what it is. Seven days a week, we're going to do it. Right. Maybe I'll take a vacation when it's all done, you know? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see about that. I hope you do, though. I do too. <laughs> I could use one. Yeah, really. I think many people in your industry could. So to kind of round things out here, as we look towards the future, whatever that means, what are your final thoughts? How how are you feeling about things going forward? Well, I think uh, we just have to be ready to see what changes come and, and react to them fast enough to keep your doors open. 
no matter what, I think that the community is always going to be the community. Um, it's been like that for centuries, you know, and I think that that's what's ultimately the single most important thing that we as bakers have to focus on is how do we take care of our community because our community is going to take care of us. And I think that's really the, the critical piece there, whether it's I walk it outside and say good morning for the next five years or do I think people are going to sit next to each other the way we used to in a cafe setting? I, I kind of don't think so. But I also don't think you're going to see a bar with 12 seats with 24 people sitting there. I think you'll see 12 seats spaced apart and 12 people for a while. You know, I used to think that that we kind of became a culture of people that forget very quickly. But something tells me that this is going to stick with us as a way of life for quite a while. So we'll have to figure out how to adapt and what is the impact of what we're going through right now and what does it mean in five years that's why i'm so hesitant to make decisions um especially financial for the company that it's not clear and it's uh it's not for tomorrow it's for two years from now you know i mean all of these things it's such a broad question with such a broad answer i think ultimately what i know is tomorrow i'm gonna get up and i'm gonna put bread in people's hands and we're going to put croissants and we'll keep making cakes. And and then if the next day we can still do that, we're going to still do that. And if it goes on for three months like this, then we're going to do it for three months. It's what we do. It's what we know how to do. And hopefully that brings a little joy and a little comfort to people that that kind of need it right now. Really changed the, the, the face of the restaurant world is completely changed. It's turned on its ear. It was already a dangerous I don't want to call it dangerous, but risky market. The margins are slim. We just have to see what it looks like. And if you can't react, it might be a little more challenging. Yeah, I think this whole crisis has really shown how vulnerable the the hospitality industry really is. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and even think about it. it, it we keep talking about full circle, but the airplanes aren't moving. The restaurants aren't full. There's no conventions. There's no visitors. There's no travelers. There's no. Um, and in a time when, you know, we had a great winter, like it wasn't horrible. It wasn't like last year it was pretty rough. So I remember sitting there thinking uh, kind of in the beginning, end of January, beginning of February, I'm like, this is great. We're going to hit the spring and it's going to be lovely and, and everything, you know, there's going to be no problems. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> and then wham. So you just have to react and, and adapt and do your best. You know, my, my dad always says, put your head down and your knees up and keep plugging, you know, like Earl Campbell. And that's what we're going to do. I don't know if you may be a little young to know who Earl Campbell is, but he was one of the greatest running backs for the Houston Oilers back in the seventies. Right. And he was a beast. Like, uh, so he did, he put his head down, he put his knees up and he, he ran through people. Um, I'm not saying as a, Shelby Baker, I'm going to do that, but I am going to put my head down and keep my knees moving and and keep baking bread because that's really all we can do until we can't, right? Well, I, I think that's a good spot to end on and an especially good sentiment to reiterate is, you know, we can pontificate all we want about what's coming in the future, but I think all we can really control is tomorrow. And that's probably that's probably the only thing that we should be thinking about right now. I think so. And wash your damn hands. Right. That too. It's a you know, one 
it's a profession, right? It's what what you do, it's what I do, and I think as professionals, we have to realize that it's our duty to deliver the word or deliver the bread or deliver chicken to a curb because it's a profession. It's not it, nothing short of spectacular is what this business is. Anyway, sorry. I can talk to you all day in your closet, man. I mean, I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is quite a situation here. I literally have blankets draped from every surface. You need some flowers, gutsy it up. Yeah, I need uh, I need to have a little setup here. Uh, my I have really sacrificed the comfort on my bed. I only have one blanket on my bed right now. All the rest of them are surrounded. I'm surrounded by, but it's a worthwhile sacrifice. It's this, a hell of a job you did. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's worth it for this though. This has been really fun and, and gratifying. There Besides, I don't I don't need that many blankets at night anyways, so nah, it's fine. No, nah, it's okay. Anyways, thank you so much for Absolutely. taking the time to do this. Bye. Bye. Hi there. Thanks for sticking around to the end. As per usual, I'll put all resources to help John in the description of this episode. In the past week, I've been working hard to create content that has a bit more urgency and is a bit more related to the current state of affairs here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, whether that be speaking with people who need a platform the most right now or doing on-the-ground reporting. So please, be on the lookout for that. That's about it for me today. I'll see you next week. Take care.